Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Moms That Say Fuck, hosted by yours truly, Alana Kapitz and Dr. Dina Kulik. I'm Alana, the CEO and founder of Moms Toronto. We're on a mission to bring moms together and give them a great day, revolutionizing maternity leave. And I'm Dr. Dina Kulik. I'm a pediatrician and pediatric emergency medicine doctor. I provide no-nonsense child health advice, dispelling myths, and empowering parents to parent confidently and raise your healthiest kids. Together, we have six kids under eight. We are eager to chat with other moms, entrepreneurs, and interesting people about everything from sex to alcohol, sleep woes, and body shaming. We aren't afraid to talk about taboo topics or share our many opinions. We say it like it is and want to get to the heart of the issues facing moms and caregivers everywhere. Come join us. Okay. Tell me how we pronounce your name. Ashlyn. Ashlyn. Okay. Ashlyn. Good. And I'm not reading her bio. <laughs> no. Go ahead. Why don't you tell us about yourself? Okay. <laughs> My name is Ashlyn Lanigan. I'm a naturopath in Toronto. Um, just... Keep going, Go babe. <laughs> okay. Uh, I work at two different clinics, a uh, clinic downtown and a clinic in Mississauga. I've been a naturopath now for, oh God, seven years, eight years, and I love it. Um, my approach to health is always trying to treat the root cause of illness or imbalance in the body. So trying to fix where that's coming from. And um, I gravitate towards nutritional medicine, botanical medicine, um, natural health products, but I also do dabble a little bit with homeopathy, um, which hopefully that is okay with doctors in the room. Some of my doctor friends are like, don't even talk to me about that. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm actually one of these people that's really open to everything. I mean, I I certainly like things that are more evidence-based and have Mm -hmm. some evidence behind them, but I think there's a lot of things we just don't know. And to be honest, a lot of the medicine, medicine stuff that we do, like the Western medicine MD stuff that we do is not even evidence-based. It's just, we've done it for a long time. So we assume that it's cool. And there's, you know, many things are not really that well studied in kids because people don't want to give their kids to do tons of studies on. So lots of what we do is not even evidence-based anyway. I mean, theoretically it's okay because we've done it for a long time, but I'm very open. We have a naturopath in my office. We have an osteopath in my office. We now have a chiropractor. We, have, we have a massage therapist starting next week. So I'm, I'm all about kind of all sorts of healthcare stuff as long as it's not putting kids at harm. Like toddlers getting yeah. massages. Yeah. Literally. Yeah, toddlers? Massage. Well, yeah, why not? Okay. Infants, toddlers. I want to see my son, who's two, in a little bit. I bet he would love it. Oh, my God. He'd, I don't know how he'd be like, how dude, still. my shoulder is cool. Really? Oh. Yeah, Maybe why I'll not? do that. Okay, so tell us, Ashlyn. Yeah. Sorry. No Ashlyn. So when someone comes to see you, why are they coming to you and who are you seeing? Yeah. So my kind of area of focus is women's health and fertility. Oh, cool. So for the most part, that is what I see. Okay. Um, I do a lot of conjunctive work with um, fertility clinics in Toronto. I do acupuncture on site at quite a few of them. Um, and that, so yeah, women's health is kind of my like area of focus. Okay. So someone comes to you and you have, you have a few kids, right? Two kids? Two kids. Boy or girl? A uh, little girl that's two and, and a, boy a boy that's seven months. Right. Yeah. I read your bio. Um, <laughs> she prepped. I did. I actually read it. I was ready so for, to read for people it. that don't know, actually, we often have people on that we've never met before, don't really know that well, but right. come recommended through other people that we either had on the podcast or right. friends of people. So I think Lauren Haw was who suggested you. Yeah. Right? Yes, Ashley. Because we love friend. to ask people that we love who else do you love that would be great on the podcast? And I think Lauren Haw is actually cool Lauren, Lauren Haw is responsible a lot of for like half of our podcast. So yeah, far. and because because we loved having her and she's well connected and she was like, "My here's all my people." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and 
part of what I think is unique about this podcast is we don't even know what we're going to talk about. We literally just sit down and talk about stuff. So yeah. we try not even to talk to our guests when they get here. Like they sit in my basement where we're filming and we're like, don't talk, just just sit here. Just so wait. it's a little bit And awkward. we like yeah, have to chat, but it's not, we try <laughs> not to get into stuff. Room. Yeah. Um, because we want the conversation to just flow. And yeah. people often ask, like, do you edit it? Do you cut things out? We don't. We literally don't. Once we, we cut, cut out, a little out bit one out. little bit from the Jack Neiman one, you know. Minutes. 11 minutes of some, <laughs> some conversation that wasn't useful for, for the listeners. But otherwise, we have not edited out anything because I think this just raw, normal conversation. I liken it to like going to have, you know, wine with friends at a restaurant and just chatting. So, okay. so yeah, so we don't know each other, which is kind of nice and, and fresh. Yeah. So and I, don't, I don't know a lot about your industry. I have to tell you, I do get homeopathic and, and naturopathic physicians confused all the time. Yeah. I don't think so. I understand the difference either, actually. Can so, you explain? Definitely I can. So homeopathy is one modality in naturopathic medicine. And homeopathy, the basic premise behind it is like cures like. So you would Hold use, on, no, slow down. Got it. Like cures like. like. So Say it again. Okay. Like, like cures like. Which means? So for example... Arnica is a homeopathic that oh, is commonly so good. used by people. Yeah. yeah. So you should have Arnica on a fucking pump jar, you know, <laughs> next to your Peloton bike. Jar. Oh, like for like my soreness and things. Oh my God. Oh. Do you have? I don't know. I have this cream stuff that my chiropractor gave me. I bet you there's Arnica in that. What do you think, Andrew? Probably. Yeah. He uses it too. But I, I mean, <laughs> he's I, like, stop my, deferring my, to me. My, car- <laughs> no, my chiropractor gave me some like rubby stuff, like, you know, Rub A35, which isn't that, but it's made with essential oils. Got my it. guess is it has Arnica in I'm going to bring you Arnica. You but I've have. never used it otherwise, really. Oh my God. My sister got me into it. Yeah. Okay. So, so keep talking. Is so, it essential oil, Arnica? No. So what Arnica, if you were to take, full, I actually don't know what arnica itself is but if you were to take it in in its full strength it would cause muscle aches and pains soreness tightness and that's what it would do and so what homeopathy is is taking arnica and then watering it down and watering that down and watering that down and watering that down until what you're left with with left with is not any of the actual substance so it's basically like the energetics of the substance and that's what you give somebody and so you always give them a homeopathic that's would cause the same symptoms in full strength I got it. Sense. But I think what you're referring to is more like rubbed, like lotion or something. Is that, that what you're not talking it. about? Yeah. Like you, topical you put Arnica? it on topically. Oh, yes. no, but Arnica also like, don't you take it in more kind of like fuller substance and put it on in a cream or something? It can come in any form. So you can take oh. it in drops. You can take it in topically. You can take it in pellets, um, sprays, like so, anything. So the story, form so I, doesn't matter. We had an event a few weeks ago and the weather's been such shite recently. Hmm. And it was a big Mother's Day event that we did two weeks before Mother's Day. And we had 50 people in this really busy venue. And we were setting up really fast. And there was a floor mat that, someone, that wasn't secure. And I was like running up to the car to get Essa. And I freaking wiped out. And I really landed hard on my knee. And I was like, oh my God, I have a huge fucking bruise. So my sister comes over. She's like, take Arnica, put it on my knee. Like as if nothing even happened. Mm. Like it's a little bit tender, but not like the the magnitude of what I thought mm. the injury would be. Right. So, okay. So, so the whole dilute, 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 and we think this is going to work thing. I don't know. So that, that, I, that makes me feel like I would like to see evidence around it. I'm not saying totally. it doesn't work. It just se- seems weird to me. So I totally get that. And it isn't one of the main modalities that I use, but kind of like how you were saying how there's things that have just been around forever that you like sort of accept tradition that's kind right. of like well yeah i mean it's homeopathy. been used in eastern it's medicine for forever ever. like right. for exactly. longer than western medicine even exists and yeah. people really buy into it so yeah i'm definitely not to say that it doesn't work it just seems odd to me yeah whereas Which other totally things that sense. are more evidence-based make me feel more comfy so things like acupuncture of, for example exactly. i have much more comfort with that even though i've never actually personally had it because there is legit evidence around it or but things is like that homeopathy no. no so homeopathy is just 
that what I just talked about. Okay. So what naturopaths hearing like with like or whatever. Exactly. Okay. And it's more of like an energetic medicine. The rest of naturopathic medicine is very um, evidence-based. So botanical medicine is using like the properties of the plants. Um, And if you think even for Western medicine, like a lot of medications are based in plants. Um, uh, So, and there's uh, tons of great research uh, in botanical medicine, but then, so we would also practice nutrition. So like eating the right foods for your body. Um, We would also practice uh, natural health products, which is using supplements. So things like vitamins and minerals and probiotics and all that good stuff. Um, And so basically naturopathic medicine is a number of different modalities, whereas homeopathic medicine is just the one. So when a mom, come, when a woman comes yeah. to see you for for fertility, fertility issues, so some of my go tos, yeah. So basically, first I would sit down and get their whole health history, um, yeah. and it would depend on what their plan was. So if they're already with a fertility clinic, um, that's often really great because the fertility clinic is doing all the testing. So I don't need to requisition any testing, um, which is awesome because that would be my go to if somebody came in to me first, like looking. What, can, at, what are you allowed to test for? Um, so we can test for, in purposes for fertility, we can test for almost everything. So my like first things I always look at is like a day 21 progesterone or luteal phase progesterone to make sure that's okay. What and is that? the same as what I would order. What it's is like it? the same Exactly. Test? Yeah. So, what is do, it? so progesterone is a hormone that is high in the second half of the women's cycle. It's also the most common cause of um, what we call kind of unexplained infertility. So when people have low progesterone in the second half of the cycle, first of all, it's really, they might be even what we call a chemical pregnancy, like getting pregnant every month but their body can't maintain that pregnancy because they don't have the progesterone to develop. Um, so what's things. the test? The test will test the hormone. It's like yeah. blood it. testing for estrogen or testosterone or whatever. Got it. Okay. Exactly, yeah. Um, so if they're with a fertility clinic, they're getting all that testing done, which is awesome. And so I will often send a requisition to the fertility clinic to get a copy of the test or the patient just brings them in. Um, and then we look at it from um, like a, a naturopathic perspective. So as... I'm what's called a prescribing naturopathic doctor. So I can prescribe like a limited number of pharmaceuticals. Home, uh, hormones are one of the things that we can prescribe. So depending on what their plan is, like if they wanted to be pregnant tomorrow, maybe they have advanced um, maternal age, which is like a ridiculous concept, but like, like being over 35. Yeah. Which is crazy. Geriatric ovaries. <laughs> yeah. Geriatric eggs. I just learned I about this. I don't think geriatric at 35, but yeah. They're older. She changes things my cousin, who was a year younger than me, yeah. she's like, my doctor said to me, because she was going to have a C-section, she's like, should I tie your tubes or get rid of your tubes while I'm in there for a C? And she's like, what? That seems quite final. She's like, well, you are 35, so you ha- do you have geriatric eggs and a geriatric uterus. She's like, what the fuck? <laughs> so that's a new concept for me about there's geriatric a, There's a very uterus. big change in terms of uh, the likelihood of getting pregnant and it dramatically decreases at 35 which is not to say you can't get pregnant after 35 right. but it really really like dramatically like right. drops biology doesn't zero. change right yeah. yeah i mean like i think back in the day people were getting pregnant at you know 17 18 19 because that's when you're actually the most fertile no right. that's not when people want to get pregnant now typically but yeah after 35 yeah. like i mean also people died at 45 back in the day right so having babies at 35 didn't make any sense right yeah <laughs> Oh, hands made in tail. That's what I think about every time I think about this stuff. Okay. It's true. So, okay. So someone comes to you, they so had some blood tests, you requisition some stuff, you have the ability to... So basically figure okay. out if there is like, quote unquote, a problem. Like if there is anything that we can explain as to why they haven't gotten pregnant yet or any barriers to pregnancy. But wouldn't the fertility clinic already know that so, biochemically? But a lot of my patients aren't with fertility clinic. They're on oh. wait lists for fertility I clinics. See. See. And so, um, so yeah. So if they've already got 
either um, uh, their GP that's doing it or fertility clinic that's doing it. That's awesome. Um, And then, so like general things I would look at is uh, I do kind of treat a lot of women because we're in Toronto and I, I work downtown and a lot of like professional women are just having babies a little bit later. So um, looking at like egg quality is, is often a big issue. And, and you can look at egg quality? So we no one can, we can kind of look at egg quality. Like there's a few tests that kind of can give us like what's ovarian reserve. Like there's no way to directly measure ovarian reserve, but there's some... Okay, let's like, pretend we don't know anything we're talking about. What does it. ovarian reserve mean? So it's basically how many eggs you've got left. Got it. So how like... Yeah. So there's a test called AMH, anti-malarian hormone, that is kind of tells us what ovarian reserve is. So, but in any case, what I would look at is if you're above a certain age, we're, we know that egg quality reduces after a certain age. So there's different supplements. So coenzyme Q10 is one of them. Um, And the dose is dependent as to whether you're going through fertility treatments or whether you're doing kind of natural conception. Um, But that could be very helpful for um, egg quality. Hmm. Yeah, so I, know, I know nothing about the naturopathy version of this stuff, yeah. but a lot of women will have ultrasounds mm-hmm. of their ovaries and it'll show you how many eggs are there, how many, like, so basically what happens every month is you have these eggs, eggs get older and you also lose eggs, hence your period, when mm-hmm. you ovulate, you drop an egg down, the egg comes out with your period, right? Mm-hmm. So you have a certain number of eggs at birth, you don't make more of those, unlike sperm, or where men continue to make sperm ongoing. Oh, like so always, a woman always. has a certain number yeah. of eggs? It's finite. What? Yeah. How the fuck did I not know yeah. that? Versus Do sperm, people know like, that? Just send us a DM. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> send us a DM right now. Yeah, yeah. You don't, you don't make more eggs, which is, which is why, truly, you, as we get older, we really cannot so have more children. could it not be that when somebody is like 16 going through their first pap smear that they get like scanned to know how many eggs they have and then they know? No, not really. I mean, you can see that you, that you have lots of them in your ovary, but then what happens is you mature one of those each month, theoretically one or oh, two or more. Interesting. So those are called follicles. And so oh. if you're going through fertility treatment, and this is so not my expertise, so I'm, I'm hoping and I'm, I'm like getting this shocked. Wrong. I'm like, if I'm learning something, that means you bitches yeah. are learning something and too. And I'm hopefully <laughs> I'm getting this right. But um, when they do the ultrasound for women looking to see like fertility stuff, they'll often say, okay, well, you have like three ripe follicles you have three follicles that are red follicles like the mature uh, egg uh-huh. that is ready to be hit with the sperm which is what causes a pregnancy right well right? that part i know dina yes. that's the one um, piece of yeah. this i understood um, okay but yeah but sometimes the they're like sorry you got no real countable oh. um, eggs or you have many many of them or you have really three delicious ripe follicles that are ready to to be you know busted by that sperm oh, i love her so so delicious honestly yeah. every time she says something's <laughs> delicious i love when you use delicious delicious <laughs> Firm break, Dina, I, I think we said. need a brand, a yeah. brand called Dina's Delicious. delicious. Like, I love the word delicious. Awesome. I know you I do. I also love the word luscious. Oh, Since I, I was like a kid, I don't know why. Yeah. Change the podcast. Yeah. Mom's like, <laughs> luscious mommy. Delicious. So I love it. Sorry. No um, so anyway, so there, so there is ultrasound ways anyway to find out about, yeah. about, um, I'm not sure about quality as much. I think yeah. it's a bit more difficult. Though we don't really I've have heard test, of people talking quality. about the quality of their eggs and they look they look like shitty eggs or they look like nice healthy eggs. So Ashlyn, when somebody comes to you yes. and they've gone through this process, I have a very soft spot for anyone who's had fertility issues, of course. I can't help as a mother sometimes feel guilty about the mm. fact that I have healthy children. And when I meet my friends who have been struggling for a long time with infertility, I've had a few miscarriages. I had one before. I got we got pregnant on my wedding night and we missed lost that baby, and then I got I had two miscarriages between my two kids. So I've had very early miscarriages. I've witnessed actually, and seen some very late term miscarriages, and I've seen friends who just suffer from infertility for a variety of reasons, and it is heart fucking breaking. Mm-hmm. Go. 
It is so heartbreaking. Um, I think like there's no, there's nothing you can say. There's nothing. Is there any sensitivity training that people get around this stuff? No, a hundred percent. No, there's no, it's initially when I've kind of first started getting into fertility world, I would get really like um, sympathetic and apologizing and trying to like explain maybe why the person had a miscarriage or trying to help them to explain. But what I have realized in like working with um, fertility is that that's not what women need. They don't, right. they don't need that. They just need somebody to be there. And I don't know, sometimes to change the subject, sometimes to focus right. on something else. Um, and so I think it's different for every woman, like how you process it. Right. Um, but yeah, it doesn't, it's terrible. Hard. Yeah. I so couldn't terrible. imagine wanting something so badly and just not being able to have it. Yeah. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And it's not fair. And it's not fair. No. And there's like nothing you can do, right? And wh- why does your friend or your sister exactly. or your mother, whatever, have no challenges, right? right. And, and I think there's a lot of guilt that comes with it too, because, you know, being the position I'm in, I am, I'm seeing the babies that are products mm-hmm. of sometimes years of infertility or losses or whatnot. And, and as you spoke to, it's absolutely true that a lot of women are having babies later. Mm-hmm. They're, they're having their careers first, or they're meeting their partners later, or their first marriages don't work out, or whatever the case is. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people don't really know that it does change fertility. Getting yes. older, it really does. Every single year, it makes your chances less and less that it'll be easy, that it'll be you know without intervention, mm-hmm. that it'll be a term baby, because the older you get, the more likelihood of having a preterm delivery, mm-hmm. genetic you know, issues, all these things. And mm-hmm. I don't think people really know that, or maybe they've heard it, but they don't really pay attention. But it does really make a big difference. So, but, but it's hard too, because we also want our careers and we want our mm-hmm. lives and we want to travel and we want to live our life with our partner, not necessarily have babies the first second. So it's challenging for people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then there's some guilt that goes along with that. Like if they are having troubles, like, oh, fuck, I should have not waited this extra year or two years or why, why did I do this extra degree or, you know, whatever it is, right? You know, when you see these parents with kids, they call them rainbow babies or unicorn babies, babies who are a product of basically divine, inter- like miracle, miracle mm-hmm. babies. Yeah, or post you, losses. Right, or post yeah. losses. People yeah. who've like had, oh my God, I can't even, somebody losing a baby, like I can't. I know you work at sick kids and you see sick kids all the time, but I don't, mm-hmm. as somebody who's like, I don't even see really sick kids that often. And when I do, it's like, I can't even handle it for a second. Mm-hmm. Um, and my heart is very, very empathetic to anyone whose children are suffering from any sort of challenge. Um, but I love seeing moms who are sort of heroes in those moments as well. Anyways, I was digress. When you see those parents, are their relationships to parenting different, Dina, than people whose kids are just like popping them out all the time or don't have fertility issues? Yeah, there issues? does tend to be a little bit of a difference. I mean, it's, it would be a generalized... I mean, I'm generalizing yeah. it and making but essenti- no, I, and essentially, if you boil it down, do you yeah. see a difference? I mean, I would say that the, the families that have had losses or are having babies later or who... Um, had extra help, whether it was things like IVF or IUI or other kind of fertility help, or, or they had or a baby other or other, other right. things, yeah. Right. But particularly the in, the invasive ones, I would mm-hmm. say, because right. it's a lot, it's a huge financial commitment, right. it's a huge physical commitment. So right. to go through IUI, which is um, intrauterine insemination, where basically like sperm is kind of shot into you instead of 
a man having an ejaculation, and that, whether that's with your partner or with it, you know, with someone else's sperm, a if donor you're, if you're or something, a donor yeah. or whatever. Um, but the, those usually, when you have that done, you ha- you take medicine to make you hyper ovulate to make more of these eggs to make the likelihood higher that you'll that you'll get pregnant. Or in vitro, which is like much 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 more involved, we're again taking the same medicine to make you hyper ovulate. You're they're taking the the um, eggs out of you physically. Uh, you take lots of medicine, hormones. I mean, it's, it's a really big commitment. You get ultrasounds every day for however many weeks or months. Like it's a huge commitment physically, uh, financially. So yes, I do find that those families tend to be on average more nervous, more, I wouldn't say more thankful because we're all thankful for babies. Yeah, but I think every woman is grateful when they have a yeah. child that's healthy. But I think more hypervigilant, mm-hmm. um, a bit more fearful, as they should be. Like mm-hmm. this was not that I, I'm very thankful to have four healthy children that I that I had naturally conceived naturally and I didn't have significant issues. But I'm very, 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 very thankful for my kids' health. Um, but I, I do find that there tends to be a bit more of a hypervigilance um, when you've had uh, so many struggles, and and that just comes from having so many struggles, of right. course, right? What I also find true is that the older the family, the older the parents, they're much, much, much more hypervigilant. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, especially the ones that have like, you know, gone through adoption or surrogacy or whatever, because they've mm-hmm. really had a long stretch of this where it wasn't working for them. Yeah. It's so funny. This It's interesting that you're, you're here and we're having this conversation because I've always wanted to sort of grapple with the conversation on the podiums that I have about fertility and the long path to parenthood and all the different roads people take to get there i just haven't had the opportunity to have that conversation Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so i love talking about this because i feel like it's such an important conversation and for us to know that a lot of our families a lot of our community a lot of canadians a lot of people around the world it's not straight and narrow and i would Mm -hmm. say that the conversation around fertility is so still muted even though people do talk about it um but but it's almost like it's, I wouldn't say it's taboo per se, but I think a lot of people feel embarrassed about it. It's not a conversation. People are like, oh, I had so many fertility issues and I had to do all these things. And I, I think it feels almost like a failure. I think people have described to me that it feels like a failure. I think that Same that, with like that, breastfeeding, like not being able to breastfeed. Like yeah. you should be able to do this. Your body should do this for you. Yeah. What do you like, think? I think that that perception is almost changing. Like I feel one of my best girlfriends actually, and it's funny, I grew up in a small town um, in Ontario and they're, uh, oh God, I hope no one is listening to that is from her empire. But anyways. They're um, all going to listen, by the way. <laughs> I grew up in Ottawa. I know where I'm from. Okay, yeah. great. Yeah. So I grew up like outside of our empire um, in Brayside, but um, we would joke that like the people that like stayed in our empire were townies. And my, one of my best girlfriends, she's brilliant. She's an accountant um, and she went to university and postgrad and everything and then she decided to move back to Arm Prior and she married a townie what we joke and he's lovely he's a firefighter and he's like the sweetest human being okay. um and they live uh in Arm Prior. and she did that because she's always wanted to be a mom like that was her thing she's like I'm gonna be a mom I have a million kids um and then she was married for a year and then two years and then and in the small town everyone talks about things and so my mom would call me Lauren's still not pregnant like, okay, that's okay. Um, and then, uh, and then it was five years and, and she went through, ended up going, started with IUI and then did IVF. Um, and I was obviously supporting her as much as you can support her, but then it's your best friend. So it's challenges with that as well too. Um, and so she ended up having a little guy who's amazing, um, and he's almost two now, but they, 
are very much like open about their struggle. Like they're when they kind of did a Facebook announcement about him being born, like um, conceived with love and IVF. And, and I think that perception is really, really changing. And as well in Toronto, like people are, I find very open to um, their struggles. And even like when we were talking more about fertility and miscarriage, like I think that that whole, perception is changing yes. as well too i like, agree but i do think it's i think it's interesting i have a few girlfriends who are quite honest with me about their yeah. experience and when they go to the fertility clinic every day and they get their shots everyone's eyes are down no one's talking to each other it's not like this like communal experience of, like we are in this together it it's feels like shitty the whole thing people's like so blinders shitty. on no one is looking at each other and even if you see somebody no one it's a confidentiality like almost this like sisterhood of this mm. suffering together where they're like no one even mentions anyone else that they would ever see in the fertility clinic and these women are going every fucking day at like 6 a.m. for these shots, right? So I've only heard these things secondhand. It just like my heart aches when I hear about women mm-hmm. who suffer and can't feel like they, that there's a form for them to publicly own their experience. Mm-hmm. And I think you're right. I think people are changing. And everyone who I see recently who do a social media announcement about their children pay homage to their long road if mm-hmm. they had that reality. Which is great. So, I mean, we, should all, we should all be yeah. able to talk to each other about it, right? It's, it's really very, very common. Yeah, like I, I would. I, I'm curious actually to look at my own patient population, but I mean, at least 25 percent of my patients are have to have some help, right? Like that's a lot. Mm-hmm. It, it's interesting to see kind of over time what's the next generation going to look like. And the next generation, like you know, some people fear that the more we do this kind of stuff, the more we'll need to do this stuff. And why are we needing it to do it more now anyway? Besides just age, age is one thing, but yeah. it's not just age. I mean, mm-hmm. I've I have friends and, and patients that were in their 20s that couldn't get pregnant naturally or sustain the pregnancy. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting. It's, it's, I'm curious why it is it's happening. I don't think we have great answers around that, we but don't. it's certainly going up the rates of, of needing some kind of help. Do you think it's environmental, guys? What do you think? Do you think it's microwaves and margarine? Because I blame everything on microwaves and Pollution, margarine. hormones. What do you think? For sure it could be like our exposure to plastics and we know that that impacts especially like um, increasing estrogen levels and, and like that is, I would say, I don't know, again, I don't know how what the stat is, but like for patients I see at least 60% of the time it's like elevated estrogen, low progesterone. And mm-hmm. if we can fix that and whether we fix it with herbs that upregulate progesterone or downregulate estrogen, or whether we do it with like straight up giving hormones, um, it's like very, very effective. And but and then people always ask me like, well, why is my progesterone so low? Like, how did this happen? And we don't know. Sashlin, what is the course of action that someone would take when they see you for fertility? Yeah, so we do an initial visit, either mm-hmm. do testing or I get their testing, take a look at it. I put together a treatment plan. So um, the treatment plan could include things like coenzyme Q10, like I mentioned for, um, for egg quality, acupuncture, especially for pre and post ovulation, um, can be very effective. And, uh, and then if there's anything else kind of any other imbalances in the body. So I look at their digestion at their sleep. If someone's not sleeping, um, if they have chronic insomnia, if you just think about that, like common sense, like it's going to be harder to maintain a pregnancy for and sure. So much stress, right? Exactly. Like Rest cortisol, and just health exactly is off the charts all the time. That's going to impact the thyroid or like there's so many different factors. So basically just like optimizing their health and doing everything we can do to promote um, fertility. Where does the acupuncture go? Where are you doing that? Depends on the person. So, um, there are several common points that are done. So there's kidney three, which is kind of behind the medial malleolus on the ankle. It's like behind the, ankle bones. Um, there's spleen six, which is sort of just above that are like really, really common fertility points. Um, large intestine four, which is, uh, when you bring your thumb into your hand, that kind of bump that it makes, um, is a really common point as well too. Sorry. 
Um, but the, <laughs> the points are the reason why, like there, there are some protocols, like there's a Paulus protocol, the German pro- protocol, which is where the research is based on for IVF. Um, and, and that research is quite sound, but the, it doesn't always fit into like evidence-based medicine that well, because the points that I might do for you might be totally different than the points I do for you mm-hmm. just based on Yeah, but you can still, bodies. I mean, people can still take a huge group of people that have this point and they have this point and they have no points or they yeah. have some kind of sham mm-hmm. and see, does it increase the risk of, of fertility or mm-hmm. successful pregnancies? It's got to be done, no? Yeah, definitely. Well, yeah. we like there's tons of research studies out there showing, uh, showing impact and basically what it's based on is with IVF, um, but showing, in, I think it's 25% increase in successful outcomes with, uh, mm-hmm. with acupuncture, which is quite significant, especially yeah. if you look at like, like, I don't know the costs of IVF and sure yeah yeah, mm-hmm. yeah anything that boosts it even mm-hmm. even if it's just placebo to be honest mm-hmm. because I think I, I'm a big believer that the more positive you are the better outcome you'll have for I mean, sure for anything not, yeah I don't like push away medicine medicine's not important let's just be positive but but there's very good evidence around cancer for example that the more positive you are the better outcome you have regardless of what chemo etc you have so even if you think it's going to help there's still benefit in that yeah yeah just mm-hmm. going into it with a more positive kind of mindset this is going to work. This is going to work. This is going to work. It's probably going to work a bit better. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, so tell me about plants. Tell you about plants. <laughs> yeah. What plant? Like what is, I think about weed. That's all I, yeah. I think about. Oh, okay. Uh, no, I'm no, not, like, I'm not an expert in it. No, 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 although but, someone asks me about it every day. No. <gasps> are you? No, I'm not an expert in it, but oh, every I, day someone. No, somebody asked you. Yeah. People are curious. I need to do a course. Everyone yeah. is cannabis curious. Yeah. I'm telling you. Yeah. yeah. It's not my, it's not my drug of choice, but maybe starting to be because I'm very curious and experimenting. <laughs> okay, so wait a minute. But use botanicals. What does botanicals mean? Yeah, so basically... You said, you said botanicals, I said plants. Okay, what does <laughs> botanicals mean? Same, same. So they're different plants will do different things. Okay. So for example, evening primrose oil is a plant that we'll often use in the second half of a woman's cycle. So like after they ovulate, before they get their period, which is quite helpful at supporting progesterone. Um, there are other plants that we might use like... Uh, blue and black cohosh, which uh, can be very helpful. They're uh, really helpful at like kind of more promoting a woman going into labor and they might help to boost up like um, estrogen a little bit more. So different plants do different things. Wild mm-hmm. yam is another one that's quite... Um, What's it called? Wild yam wild is another yam. plant that we okay. use quite a bit to like boost up um, estrogen. But yeah, we would use different plants for their medicinal purposes. And how about food? What's like your food is medicine theory. Yes. So again, it depends on the person, but we know that iron is really important for ovulation as well as for, um, uh, maintaining pregnancies. We know it also dips off when people are pregnant. So it's important to like go into pregnancy with, with increased iron. So if someone is a meat eater, like that's obviously a great source of iron. Um, but you can also get it from like dark vegetables. So any like red or orange colored vegetable is quite high in iron. Black drop molasses is high in iron. Um, Lentils, beans, tofu, fish, eggs. Exactly. A lot of people have issues with with meat and they Mm -hmm. think, well, you know, I'm iron deficient because I don't have meat. But there's Mm -hmm. so many things that don't have meat that are iron rich for sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, And then like making sure they're having protein to balance blood sugar is, is really important. And then that they're getting enough uh, vegetables in their diets. So they're getting enough like vitamins and minerals through their diet. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And supplements. Tell us about supplements. What vitamins do you give people? For fertility? Or- sure. I mean, that's what we seem to be on. So yeah, <laughs> let's, riff, let's riff on that for a bit. Go. I, so again, it's like, it's not a one size fits all. So it depends on the person. Okay. Um, 
but uh, I would always look at like, especially living in Canada, like our vitamin D levels. Um, so a thing that I recommend frequently in clinic is vitamin D. I think it's important to test it so we know what your levels are at rather than just like taking 2,000 IUs a day. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a it, lot. Is that what you recommend? 2,000? That's the RDA, yeah. It used to be 1,000. That's two. Since when? Since, I don't know. Huh. Yeah, definitely really? in the last year. I thought it was 1,000. No. But maybe I'm not thinking of the RDA recommended daily allowance kids is 400 uh yes yeah, 400 yeah. but that's what we're supposed to be adding not necessarily with the rda so the rda is like in the day how much vitamin d should you get the recommended daily allowance whereas what you take as a supplement isn't necessarily the rda Sorry, because I you maybe RDA. no no but you're right yeah. you're right um yeah so like in adults typically we recommend a thousand a day and in kids it's 400 to 600 iu a day so it's like a drop of the vitamin d drops or whatever um but actually there's a lot of evidence around that a lot of i should say not evidence new research around this because we actually don't really know the best amount to take and uh, we're probably taking too little. So important to test. Um, And unfortunately, it's not an OHIP cover test uh, unless you have certain criteria that you meet. Um, Mm -hmm. But so, but I do think it's very worthwhile to pay for. I think the cost is like between 40 and 50 bucks. Like it's not a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Um, And I often will test it for patients and see the range is 75 to 250. Um, And oftentimes I'll see people like well below 25, like functioning young healthy people. And vitamin D is really protective against cancers, protective against osteoporosis. It makes your bones stronger. Mm-hmm. And in somewhere like, like Ontario or in Canada where we don't get, get it from the so sun. much mm-hmm. sunshine or in the summer when we're wearing tons of sunscreen and hats and mm-hmm. long sleeves when we can, which is important because we want to avoid sun damage. Um, and then in the winter when we're all covered up and wearing hats and everything, a lot of people don't get the same sun exposure as they do in other places. So many, many, many people in Canada are deficient and it affects mm-hmm. your bones and um, as you risk osteoporosis, lots of different cancers. There's lots of thought now around things like multiple sclerosis mm-hmm. and other rheumatologic problems that low vitamin D can can trigger that or be associated with it. Um, yeah. We're not sure if it's causative yet or just correlation, but mm-hmm. anyway, vitamin D is important. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. My other favorite supplement is uh, magnesium. Not This is not related to fertility. But yeah, in just, general. Yeah, yeah. Good, like general, <laughs> in general wisdom. Yeah. yeah, I would say like most people, especially people that are maybe busier or living in Toronto, um, need magnesium. I take magnesium every single Why? day. Why? I love What's it. What's the benefit? So magnesium is kind of, uh, I think it's a wonder, wonder mineral. So it is antispasmodic. So if you get muscle spasms, muscle cramps, sore muscles, be a great thing for you to take right now. Magnesium is amazing. Um, it gets depleted from stress and it has a really nice calming effect. So a lot of people will take it in before the evenings bed. before bed. It's mm. not a sedative though. Like I forget to take things before, before bed. So I take it everything in the morning um, and it, totally fine. So it, it's not a sedative. Um, it's also an analgesic. So it binds uh, to like similar receptors to pain and it can decrease pain sensation. So often patients with like chronic pain, uh, magnesium can be very helpful for, like they mm. still need their meds, but maybe they can do a lower dose of their meds or something like that. Magnesium is what's an Epsom salt. So if people that like take a nice warm bath with Epsom huh. salt, the reason why that's working is because of magnesium. So magnesium huh. is just like getting absorbed into your skin to decrease the swelling. I'm learning and so many pain. things right now. Yeah. Okay. The only thing with magnesium, by the way, for people to know, there's also a lot of different types of magnesium. Yeah. So I'm curious what you what you suggest, but so, um, yeah. it can give you diarrhea. So yeah. just so one thing to ma- think about: magnesium citrate. So and, and but then if you're a person that tends towards constipation, that it's can helpful. be very helpful to mm. kind of regulate you out. So magnesium citrate is more on the laxative side of things. Mm-hmm. And that would be what a lot of, um, it's it's one of the cheapest forms. That's what a, a lot of the um, supplements are, magnesium citrate. If you're someone that's like always constipated, 
that's just how you are, it's how you've always been, then that's not a bad magnesium for you to take because you get all the other benefits as well as like maybe making... Blue in the bowels. Exactly. Yeah. Keeping things um, helpful well, post-pregnancy, by the way. Mm. Yeah. Like I know a lot of people get constipated after a pregnancy. So smart. Magnesium Man, is good for that. To write this and that crampy grossness that you get from your uterus, like exactly. not being happy, it's helpful. Jesus. And, that, and as being mm. an antispasmodic, it's great for, like speaking of uterus, for like menstrual cramps and that type mm. of thing. Um, but the best absorbed is magnesium glycinate or bisglycinate. Um, it tends to have less of an impact on the bowels, although on a, at a high dose it still can. Um, but it's best absorbed, so you can take a lower dose of magnesium um, for better effects. Okay, what other magical things? Tell me more. <laughs> School me on what my cocktail should be, because I understood that all, ma- all, all supplements are basically... Like there's no such thing as like a great multivitamin. There isn't, unfortunately. And that like the only time you really need one is prenatally mm-hmm. um, when you need the or folic- breastfeeding. Mm-hmm. I think also acid. breastfeeding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think all women who are of childbearing age should be taking a multivitamin, mm-hmm. not because they need all the multi stuff because almost all of it you're going to pee out if you're eating a variety of things, right? Mm-hmm. Like you don't need extra vitamin C, you're going to pee that out. Um, but you need folic acid because mm-hmm. folic acid is really important in pregnancy. Um, for people that don't know much about this kind of stuff, folic acid is important to prevent spina bifida, mm-hmm. which is when the, your back doesn't basically form properly and close properly. So you, you end up, what spina bifida is, is like kind of an outpouching of your spine, which should not be outside of your body, it should be inside your body. So spina bifida um, is decreased um, with folic acid. Mm-hmm. And because a lot of women don't know that they're going to get pregnant when they get pregnant, we were talking about fertility issues, but there's mm-hmm. the opposite where people are getting pregnant and they don't necessarily plan on that. Um, having folic acid daily is important. And then the reasons you mentioned, iron, super important. A lot of people are deficient because diets suck for some people. Or um, absorption. And then when you're breastfeeding, yeah, babies, if you're breastfeeding, babies are taking your calcium, they're taking your vitamin D and they're taking your iron right from you. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of them will become deficient because it's coming out in the breast milk. So I suggest taking that, that multivitamin kind of throughout the time that you're really? breastfeeding as well. Cause I always thought it was like this like milestone when I like got that last prenatal vitamin. I'm like, yeah, I don't need and to take this shit anymore. Yeah. No, you should take something that oh. has those three things, vitamin D, calcium, and is there, iron. Is there a pill that exists that has those three things? And just those, those three things? Million. Oh, just those three things? Yeah. Mm, no, most of the yeah, prenatals are like, yeah. they'll have, Everything. Magnesium, iron. Yeah. Folic acid. But the the other things too is they, like especially the minerals, compete for absorption. So when you take calcium magnesium together calcium tends to get absorbed better than magnesium does mm-hmm. so it's almost better if you're trying Taking to get separately. the benefits of the magnesium like to take magnesium separately from mm-hmm. it um, and then the, what uh, you were mentioning too about the prenatals it's actually like the most important time to take folic acid is the three months before you get pregnant mm-hmm. um, and so because that like the neural tube defects that can happen they happen like in first trimester and so if your folic um, acid levels are higher going into pregnancy it, there's a really reduced chance of it right so it's like thinking about like obviously sometimes you can't you don't get the time to think about it but right. yeah preparing the the body for pregnancy awesome mm-hmm. when people talk about taking multivitamin in pregnancy it, 99% of the time they're talking about it for folic acid yeah mm. Yeah. Cool. Mm-hmm. You mentioned something at the outset that I want to pick your brain about two things. Sure. One is you said diet for a person. And then like, and I'm curious if you, I'll go back to this, but second yeah. would be probiotics. So yes. the diet for the person, you one of these people that feel like each type of person should have a type of totally. food, like are you like a blood type needs this kind of diet person or, or what do you, what's your thoughts on that? Okay. So I've tried like all the diets. I like wish so badly that I could be a vegetarian or vegan. I've done it for uh, good chunks of my life, but my constitution, like my B12 drops and my iron drops and no matter how much I supplement, I just, I feel like death and I look like death and then I eat chicken or whatever and I'm 
back to normal. I had the exact same thing. So I was a, I was a vegetarian, not a vegan, but vegetarian for yeah. a few years in, in like my teenagers or whatever. And I became like really sick. Yeah. Like my iron was like zero. Like I went down, my ferritin was eight, That's which is very low. Yeah. And I was What's like ferritin? really, it's ferritin iron. is, so you have, so yeah. when people talk about anemia, yeah. you have a bunch of red blood cells that are floating around your body and they give oxygen to your blood. Okay, so you breathe in oxygen, goes to your blood cells, blood cells pass around oxygen that gives you energy. It makes your tissues work, your muscles work. Um, so anemia is when you don't have enough iron in those cells that pass around that oxygen. So that's why you start to feel shitty because you're not moving oxygen around properly. That's anemia and that's your red blood cell. So it's hemoglobin. That's the test we do. But ferritin is your iron stores. So you also store iron around your body that's kind of like a longer term use. Mm. So like your liver, for example, and your muscles. So when your body, typically what happens if it's an iron deficiency problem is your ferritin, your iron stores start to go down first. Then your red blood cells don't have that iron in them and then you get anemic. Oh, Does that I make see. Sense? So ferritin is a marker for early anemia, essentially. So my ferritin became eight, which is terrible. Like you want 40 plus, like 40 is like mm. the lowest end of normal. Um, mine was eight and I was like, my, I was like very anemic. I was mm-hmm. like in the high eighties, which is 120, 130 is normal for women. Anyway, I felt shitty mm-hmm. and I was eating tons of beans and lentils and I was doing all the things that we're supposed to do. And I've always loved nuts and seeds, whatever. Anyway, I went back to meat and now ironically I'm keto and I'm like super meat person um but yeah no I felt terrible my body's not not meant to be and that's what before I told I think every person has like their perfect diet and so it's like figuring out what that is for you um and oftentimes that can be through having a discussion with somebody like getting them to track their diet for me for a week and going through like you felt better that day what'd you do differently you felt worse that day what'd you do differently um often what I'll do is what's called like an elimination diet so there are common foods that cause problems for people so we know that like dairy can cause problems for a lot of people wheat or um foods that contain gluten the protein gluten can cause problems for people eggs are another common one um and so what I get people to do is to cut out the most common allergenic foods, we do that for three weeks, and then we introduce them back in one at a time every three days. I get them to journal how they feel as we bring each food back. Um, and then from there, what we would do is like put together, a, uh, I don't like to call it a diet, but more of like a way of eating, like a nutritional kind of plan um, that is realistic and that somebody can like just not not, not stick to because then that sounds like a diet, it sounds like, a diet, whereas this is just like a new way of eating. Mm-hmm. I mean, it makes you feel better, and as long as you're eating enough of those other things, right? Yeah. I think the elimination diet thing is, I have a lot of patients or moms yeah. that have done the whole, like, I've gotten rid of all the allergens in my diet, yeah. and I'm like, okay, what are you doing for calcium? And they're like, well, I'm taking a supplement. Well, how much is your supplement? I don't know, but I'm just taking a supplement. Like, I think when possible, we should always find foods that have totally. those things, even if you're eliminating things. Yeah. Um, do you do that like allergy testing thing that's not really evidence-based? <laughs> so the IgG food sensitivity test? Yes. Yeah. What so is well, it? So it's basically measuring IgG, which is part of your immune system. Um, so the antibodies against foods. Um, and there's there's research to support it and there's research to refute it, um, like kind of anything. Uh, what I do is I offer people elimination diet or the IgG testing. Um, the people, why kind of a lot of people don't like the IgG testing is there, some people would say that it just reflects what you're eating. So you're going to have higher antibody titers against foods that you like eat more frequently. Um, whereas in practice, I often see foods that come up that people don't eat that frequently. Um, so yeah. That's I feel of- like everyone that I know that's ever done this IgG testing yeah. comes back as being... 
um, sensitive to gluten and wheat and dairy and eggs and fish and like some random other things like chicken or beef or something, which, uh, but mostly it's gluten and dairy and Mm -hmm. and eggs and stuff, which are highly allergenic foods. So they come back and they say, I'm allergic to X, Y, and Z. You're not actually allergic Mm -hmm. because when an allergy is, what's, what's, you know, when we talk about allergies in medicine, we talk about things that are at risk of killing you at risk of anaphylaxis where, you know, you can't breathe, you pass out, you have crazy rash, et cetera. Mm -hmm. That is not the same thing as as a sensitivity, which is not life threatening. It may make you feel shitty. You might have, you know, stomach upset. You may, you know, have more rashes or things like that, but you're not at risk of dying from those. Mm -hmm. And that's the difference between this kind of testing then with IgG, which is a type of antibody, immunoglobulin is what IG stands for, and allergy testing that an allergist would do, which is also looking for a type of immunoglobulin, but it's E, I-G-E. And when people do skin testing, what you're doing is you're putting a touch of that allergen on the skin and seeing if you then get a hive from that allergen. That's a marker of are you at risk of dying from ongoing exposure to these things. Mm -hmm. And those, of course, you have to avoid and eliminate 100%. You need an EpiPen, et cetera, because you're literally at risk of dying. That's quite different than these tests, which show that maybe you're irritated by them which Mm -hmm. is reasonable don't eat things that irritate you they also happen to be the things that cause a lot of inflammation so i think it's quite reasonable that a lot of people get irritated by gluten as an example not that you have celiac necessarily which is again a very immune mediated inflammation of the intestine that's you know demonstrable by blood work and and endoscopy doing a scope and taking Mm -hmm. a sample and seeing if your body is truly like reacting to these foods so celiac is like the medical diagnosis of your body cannot tolerate gluten. It's getting mad about the gluten. You're like you don't have the enzyme to digest you it. You don't have the proper things. You have mm-hmm. tons of antibody against the gluten. And you're not at risk of death from that, but you actually have quite an increased risk of colon cancers and intestinal cancer. So that's mm-hmm. like, you got to avoid it. You can't mess around with that. And then there's lots of people that just feel shitty when they have gluten, right? And I think that's likely because it's quite inflammatory. Mm-hmm. It's not, um, it's, it's kind of like a, I know it's ubiquitous in our society now. It's in so many things. And I don't know if we've just eaten it for too much, too long, so mm-hmm. much processed foods, et cetera. But anyway, there's no risk of you being, you become unwell, but it's not the same thing as celiac. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah. but I feel like nowadays everyone's gluten-free and everyone is feeling like gluten is terrible for them. Yeah. Yeah. I think like some, uh, sometimes with my patients, they almost need like a piece of paper. Like they'll, we'll go through their, like <laughs> Dina diet. knows that piece. <laughs> we will go through that, like the exercise elimination diet and like, oh, you had, gas and bloating and you felt tired and all of the, and you didn't sleep that well when you ate this food. They're like, yeah. Mm -hmm." And then we do IgG testing and it's like off the charts for whatever it is, dairy or proof. And then they have that piece of paper and they're like, okay, now I'm going to take this seriously. And then I'm like, okay, so let's do it for three months. And it's not forever. Um, I'm like, let's try our best to like eliminate that food as best we can for three months and then come back in three months and we'll try reintroducing it and see how you feel. And does that make a difference? Like the three months off? Definitely. Because even if like, if you can decrease antibody titers in the blood, if you decrease exposure of antigen, you're going to decrease the antibody titers. So antigen is the thing that we're talking about. So whether that's wheat or gluten or whatever, that's the irritative thing to your body. Mm-hmm. And then your body makes an antibody to fight that thing. So picture this like, you know, wheat cell comes into your body. Your body goes, no, this is foreign. I don't like you. Makes an antibody, which is your immune system fighting that antigen. Mm-hmm. So that's why we're talking about measuring antibodies. It doesn't sound very efficient. 
What do you mean? The it measurement or what your body does? I mean, I'm saying, no, I'm saying, no, that was a great, you know, that's a fantastic, you should have seen her hand gestures, everybody. They were so good. Like, I had like a thing with my hand, hand and then the antibodies coming other. on to the antigen. It's awesome. Yes. No, but I understand why that might like make you feel sluggish and slow you down. If yeah. you're, if you're consuming an element that your body then is trying to fight the element, it's exactly seems right. completely counterproductive. Yes. So I remember there was a time my, I don't want, I know how my body likes to, I've never actually seen a physician of this nature, but I'm curious. I'm homeopathic naturopathic no, yeah. naturopathic curious not, not physician well practitioner yeah, excuse practitioner, me yeah. um but you have a but you're a doctor right how does it work so graduate with a doctor of naturopathic medicine yeah. it's not a phd so it's a doctor of naturopathic medicine and how long is that degree uh it's four-year postgrad so we do so four like years of bachelor school. of science mm-hmm. four-year postgrad okay medicine is four years so right? it's like it's like doing medical school but naturopathic school right Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, and then we do residencies, right? Of course. Too. So once we're back in the day when we finished medical school after four years, yeah, they, people became general practitioners. Like you could practice right away and be a family doctor. Nice. It doesn't work like that anymore. And I right. have to do at least two two years of family medicine, or in my case, four years of pediatrics. Uh-huh. So the education's a bit different, but it's still quite a lot of education. You have to do a fellowship, so you have the option to do it. Um, when I graduated, you you didn't. It didn't exist. So you you had the option to do an externship in your fourth year if mm-hmm. you wanted to kind of work with somebody else that was um, focusing in something like fertility or conjunctive oncology or whatever that was. Um, but now there are a couple different residencies. So they have one in chronic pain mm-hmm. and they have one in sport medicine and I'm not sure what the other ones are, but yeah. Okay. Ashley, here's my question. I'm so okay. curious about this. Mm-hmm. A lot of mom parent listeners, mostly yes. moms, you'll see young moms. I would say with kids under 10, let's say that's our general demographic. Okay. Most women feel generally unwell unless they make a yes. dramatic difference in their life to decide to like commit to something that's going to make them well. What would be your like top pieces of advice for like, here's like a few pieces of tooling up for like general wellness and feeling like, let's say there's disease and then there's ease, like feeling a state of just ease, like things are just better. What would you totally. suggest? So magnesium is a good learning one for me. I like that a lot. Yeah. Magnesium is really, mm-hmm. really calming. And I would say like most um, postpartum women and like women with young kids that are just like go, go, Exhausted. go all day. Yeah. It's amazing. Um, and it's very calming. Now, if you're someone that's a little bit, and again, these are general recommendations. Yes, this is this not. is complete. Okay. Th- we have a big... <laughs> Disclaimer. Don't okay, worry. Okay. Just just riff, girl. Um, yeah. Rhodiola is an amazing herb and it's a little bit more stimulating. What is so, it? Uh, so it's a herb. It's called Rhodiola rosa. Mm-hmm. Um, and oftentimes for women who are, or not just for women, but in this situation for women who are feeling a little bit tired, maybe like um, sluggish, sluggish, like mental focus isn't there, that type of thing. Um, you can take it and it comes in a variety of different forms. I usually recommend it in like capsules, um, but it can be really helpful to kind of increase up energy. And again, any, it's, any side effects? Um, so in some people, if they take too much of it or if they're, it just doesn't work for them, it would be similar to having like too much caffeine. Hmm. So there is no caffeine in it. It is just a herb with zero caffeine, um, but it can sometimes make people feel like jittery or something like that. Is there a crash too much? No. No crush. Mm. And it's a great herb I, and is safe for breastfeeding, like as much as anything is safe for breastfeeding. Mm-hmm. Um, when Mother Us was around, if you called Mother Us and asked, they said, they'd say there's no research um, to say that it's good or I've not. never heard of this before. Oh, You can't yeah, call Mother Us yeah. anymore. I know. That's why I said, yeah. <laughs> for the moment, unless they get more donors. Mm. Fingers crossed. Um, but yeah, so uh, I often will use it for either breastfeeding women or just for like really run down moms. I'm curious. Hmm. And then I, I want to try this. I've never heard of it before. I'm going to try it too. Yeah, it's great. It's more for people that are like under functioning. So if you're more of an over functioner, you probably need something more like 
um, magnesium. But if you're like kind of dragging yourself to get going in the morning, that type of thing. Um, what is when it's like normal? It's different. So you probably do you don't do need it. No. <laughs> Um, thanks Andrew and how about like how about like environmental things like what can we do in our environment you think that external factors that could help us maybe just brighten our day or or give us a little bit more pep in our step or make us feel like what do we say with uh, Rhonda (laughs) daily orgasm and daily exercise (laughs) yes daily prescription exercise yeah I would like even uh, like for myself I'm a totally different person when I exercise versus if I go a few days without doing anything Um, I feel like shit if I don't if I don't exercise I literally feel like shit yeah like my brain doesn't function properly I feel I just feel terrible. Yep. I don't know how much of it is mental versus physical, mm. but even like on a day where like I have an early morning meeting, even if I like shower and get ready and like I, you know, send off the kids to school, I literally hop on the elliptical for like 10 minutes. Yep. No exaggeration, 10 mm-hmm. minutes, 12 minutes, whatever, just to like move, yep. even mm-hmm. if my heart rate's really, really high and it makes me feel different. It yep. really does. I was on the treadmill yeah. for an hour this morning. Just nice. like, I'm trying to move every day. It's mm-hmm. this new thing I'm trying. Um, awesome. Yeah. So yeah, I, I mean, okay. So there's exercise. Okay. Anything like, wisdom from those years of education. Any other supplements of, that you recommend? Supplements or, or lifestyle yeah. or diet type things. Like, I, what's this woman who's supposed to drink like 150 liters of water a day or something like that? That is definitely not no, like I, liters. Liters. I, think, I think it's 132 <laughs> ounces a day. That's like five a lot liters. Too. It's like insane. Yeah, it's crazy, really. That's too much. Yeah. Well, no, maybe not too much. First of all, take depending. two liters a day. Two liters a day is generally a recommendation two, for normal. Right, which yeah, is 64 yeah. ounces, right? I don't know. I don't work in ounces. I don't know. I have to do the math. Breastfeeding women, I usually recommend three mm-hmm. or more, depending That's a on shitload, the shitload though. Like I drink water all day and like, I don't think I drink three liters. That's a lot. I'd be peeing all day and night if I drink three liters, I think. Really? I don't know. Maybe. So water next to me. I always have water next to me. And, and How I'm many of those still did you drink I don't know. That's probably 750. Oh, two, 0.7 liters. It's yeah. 24 ounces. Do I drink three liters a day? I definitely do. Maybe I drink four. It's possible. I think, yeah. A but lot that's of like times including people working out, though. That's like, yeah. Yeah, so usually it's like 500, depending on how intense your workout is, how much you sweat, everything else. We just say like 500 mils, like that's a workout. You need to bump it up by half a liter. Right. Mm-hmm. I also add electrolyte solution all mm-hmm. day. And I think a lot of people don't do this. And probably most people don't do it. I started doing it when I went keto. Mm-hmm. So when you go keto, which is um, typically a high fat high protein, low carb diet. I don't really have a high fat diet per se, but anyway, I have definitely a low carb diet. When you don't intake carbs, complex carbs, you pee out more and you pee out more electrolytes. It just, it just mm-hmm. happens when you, the, when you eat carbs, you absorb water. And that's why a lot of people, when they have a lot of carbs, feel bloated because mm-hmm. they're absorbing water. So you pee out more water, you pee out more electrolytes or salt or, and sugar when you um, are low carb. So I started to take more like salt my diet, which is counterintuitive when I went keto. And now this is just pure water, but I, I add like electrolyte solution to water I drink throughout the day. So I'm already taking the magnesium that way mm-hmm. and um, sodium, potassium and stuff. And I think a lot of people would actually feel better if they did. Mm-hmm. People are very salt averse, uh, but especially if you're having a lower carb diet, which many, many people do, and especially a lot of women, you know, now there's a lot more awareness around keto. Um, a lot of people need more salt. It'd make them feel better. Especially for those people that are like a bit more stress and cortisol is really high. Salt's really important for those like mechanisms to produce cortisol. Let's talk about cortisol for a sec. That's a stress <laughs> hormone, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Go. So when <laughs> Rick, go. This whole thing is School just like, <laughs> this is a consult, like guys. You're on a list. <laughs> <laughs> so when you're exp- when you perceive something as a threat and uh, as a, or as a stress. So for example, that could be you're going for a run, you see a bear. 
that's a real threat. Or you walk into a room and there's somebody you don't like and you're like, oh, that feeling. So those, your body basically would respond to <laughs> Both them. of those things happen to me on a regular basis. The bear <laughs> or, and the person. Or you're not getting enough sleep. Yeah. Or yeah. your kids are a pain in the ass. Yeah, or happens. your job is hard. Yeah. Or you're not yeah. getting good sleep. Or you're not eating well. All those things raise this stress hormone, which yeah. back in the day was like if you were running from a bear or you need to go spear a bear, <laughs> whatever it was, <laughs> to like eat. How bear analogies can we use? <laughs> like, what animals? I don't know, like a, whatever. Whatever yeah. we were killing uh, many, many years ago. But now, and so then it was useful. It was what we call people, people call the fight or, or flight, fight, right? right? So your body, naturally, your adrenal glands, which live above your kidneys, make this hormone that allows you to live your life. Ah! If you, yeah. yeah, they're like, oh shit. Okay, what, how do I do now? What do I do? Uh, it's adrenaline. It's your adrenaline rush, right? And so back in the day, we had a lot more adrenaline rushes from legit fearful scenarios now we <laughs> ongoingly at you. Yeah, yeah which happened a lot when people were you know eating animals and they had to fight for them literally um now we still have a lot of cortisol and a lot of um, stress hormone but usually for more a totally different worldly things like yes. exams like right. your children like dr jody larry who is somebody who i like in this world you know dr jody mm-hmm. yeah she'll say like reduce coffee mm-hmm. and sugar as external factors that rise cortisol levels mm-hmm. is that hundred percent. Like anything that spikes, like makes you more like any of like an upper thing, like caffeine, like that's all of those things are going to increase your cortisol because it's your fight or flight hormone. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what, what do you find decreases cortisol besides things like rest and exercise? And you're talking like, about salt. You were saying salt decreases? Well, no, when you're, so like the adrenal glands need salt to function properly, mm-hmm. basically. Um, but it's like a big thing is how you perceive stress. So trying to change up that, which is obviously easier said than done. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's, you won't be able to like fix the adrenals or, or solve the cortisol problem without like changing up that for sure. Mm -hmm. Okay. And how about breakfast? Should people be eating breakfast in your opinion? <laughs> like intermittent fasting? <laughs> is that what you're saying? I thought we should have Jody on here. No, I really should yeah. have Jody on here. I love Jody. I'm like, oh, she's like a guru to me. Um, so a lot of people are yeah. really into intermittent fasting right so now. So my husband's like into this 18 hours of not eating stuff. So yeah. talk to me about it. I don't, I don't do 18 hours personally, but I do eight, eight to 10. What is that? 14 hours? Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 I don't think I could do that long actually. Uh-huh. Yeah. There's lots of different theories. So some people will do that. They'll do like kind of somewhere above 10 hours up to 18 hours or some people will do like one day a week where they just don't eat. There's lots of different kind of options out there for fasting. Um, But I think it depends on the person. I think if you feel really good doing it, do it. Yeah. But like not, it doesn't work for everyone. So if you are feeling dizzy, if you're feeling weak, if you like aren't... um, performing at your job or whatever you're doing during the day then it might not be for you yeah. how come matt's doing it he was reading some book with some athlete tom brady is tom brady mm. who does intermittent fasting there's some nfl player tom brady i want to say and uh he was reading about his diet and how he ate and stuff like that and he found it to be inspirational he's done it before actually and found it to be like mm-hmm. work for him some people some people feel good on it it's um some people f- same with keto same concept yeah. actually it's part of like the keto lifestyle too right but um mental awareness is what a lot of people talk about yeah. but if you only eat for certain hours 
um, and otherwise you're not eating at all, you put yourself into a state of ketosis where you're right. not relying on um, glucose or sugar, which is exactly what keto is about. You rather rely on a different type of which is um, energy, which is ketones. Stores, right. Yeah, yeah. So fat stores are ketones. Right. And when your ketones are highest, they're highest when you're you you make more ketones when you're breaking down fat. Right. And because you're not intaking carbs, you're not breaking down carbs. Really, I mean, breaking down your existing stores, but not putting more in. Anyway, it gives you a, a state of alertness. So. Even now I run in the morning having not eaten breakfast at all. I have like plain green tea in the morning and then I run and that could be like literally like 10K or half a marathon kind of running without anything in my belly. And that's when I'm most alert and, and actually not starving. Like once you put yourself into ketosis, you don't have the same kind of hunger drive anymore, which, yeah. is, which is why I like ketosis in the first place. Yeah. Why I like I've been in ketosis yeah. before in my life. It's a very beautiful thing to be <laughs> <Yeah>. in. <laughs> um, uh, but that's why some people like intermittent fasting. But some people feel shitty on it. So yeah. it's really about trying, yeah. trying your own body on it. Yeah. I like, I don't, I'm very moderate. Like, I don't think that there's a perfect solution for every person. Mm-hmm. I think it, you like try it out. There's some solid research behind it. And if you feel great, do it. Yeah. And some people say, cycle through it. Like they'll do intermittent yeah. fasting for a couple of weeks and then they eat everything they can. And then, right. you know, there's a lot of different strategies around that, but yeah. talk to your doctor before messing around with these kind of things. Cause it really can change, um, your brain and 100%. your, and hormones, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. And some people, it's just not good for them. Mm-hmm. Um, I really want to talk about probiotics because so, yeah. I feel like you probably talk a lot about probiotics and probiotics. it's like kind of a new world that I'm delving into. And I'm curious your thoughts. Uh, I love probiotics. Um, for babies, for adults, it depends. So, like, Biogaia? is that what that is? Biogaia, Biogaia. Is a type of, yeah, yeah probiotic, it's a probiotic. Yeah. Um, so, if a baby has like. I, I wouldn't say every baby needs it. Um, if the baby was exposed to like antibiotics during labor, or mom was exposed to antibiotics during labor, or if they were on antibiotics um, like at themselves as a baby, for sure they should probably be on a probiotic. If they have any kind of reflux, there's good research to show that um, probiotics can be helpful for reflux um, or any kind of like digestive issues. Uh, it can be helpful. And now there's actually like new research um, in terms of uh, like cognitive health and, and probiotics, which is really interesting. And it is preliminary research but so probiotics by the way are putting healthy bacteria into your body so bacteria is a lot of people think bacteria is just bad for you like you know bacterial infections are bad we need antibiotics to fix them but your body relies on healthy bacteria Mm. what people call the flora like your your flora of your intestine or the flora of your skin we all have lots of bacteria and yeast and and other things on our skin which keeps us healthy because it theoretically if you have good level bacteria it outcompetes the bad bacteria so there's this nice little balance going on so um so when you talk about you know having antibiotics in labor as an example that goes through to the baby it theoretically kills off some of the healthy bacteria as well the goal of antibiotics is to kill off the bad bacteria but in so doing you also kill off some Why of do the you have antibiotics healthy bacteria in labor? So if you're GBS positive oh. or you have group B strep, right. that's a that's a classic example. So if a mom has group B strep, which you swab for and later in your pregnancy, like the yeah. stick in your vagina I thing. I remember doing it to myself. Yeah. yeah. So if you're positive, the risk is that when baby comes out, if you have a vaginal delivery, baby then gets exposed to that um, strep infection and is at risk of getting very sick. Like you could die from strep infection. So for women that we know they're GBS positive, we give them um, antibiotic IV in labor four hours or more before. And so that gets rid of the GBS, but it also gets rid of some healthy bacteria as well. And so um, people worry that then that predisposes you to other infections or it can change, you know, things are happening in the intestine because you just killed off the good, healthy bacteria that are in your intestine that are meant to, you know, prevent against colic and stomach upset and reflux, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's the thought around that. I, I feel like there's definitely evidence around it. The evidence is not perfect. And there's some mm-hmm. studies that show no benefit at all, yep. but people use it a lot. Like it's, it's a huge, huge business. Probiotics are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And people often ask me if they should be taking them all the time. And I don't think other than maybe vitamin D living in Canada is the only thing that like probably every person should be taking all the time. Uh, but I think definitely like cycling probiotics, there's some good research to show that it's supportive of the immune system as well too. Um, and so yeah, like cycling a good probiotic and a good probiotic in my mind is something that um, is multi-strain. So if you look at the back of the bottle that it has more than one very long word. Um, <laughs> Lactobacillus, something, something, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. lactobacillus, bifto, there's uh, a number of them, saccharomyces. Yeah, lots of great, uh, great bacteria. <laughs> We're uh, schooling you tonight, eh? You have to like use your is, brain. <laughs> yeah, just like 12 hours kind of conversation. Here we no go. Pressure. And, and then really, we're like, next, next, really next. really teaching. <laughs> it's really interesting though, so. Okay, great. Thank um, you, Ashlyn. I'm sorry. Like, no, it's all good. I love it. Um, gas of the pedal. Yeah. But I would say like, uh, what I usually recommend to my patients is so oh, one one caveat is um, a lot of probiotics are dairy based. So if you're someone that is uh-huh. lactose intolerant or does really feels crummy with dairy, then you want to get one that's not dairy based, mm-hmm. um, which is it's kind of hard to find, but there are a few good ones out there. Um, and then also if you're somebody like I have a lot of um, female patients that travel up for work, uh, so they're not all shelf stable. So there's a lot that you have to le- leave in the fridge. Uh, so you want to get one that's shelf stable if you're going to be traveling with it. Um, very, very good point. And that's actually important. really important because a lot of people take it to their change table and they give it to their kid uh, when they're changing their bum or yeah. you know, where they're, wherever they're changing. And the lactose piece is really important too because a lot of babies that have sensitive um, stomachs yeah. um, also have cow's milk protein intolerance mm-hmm. as well and some of these babies will have like bloody diarrhea it's very very obvious and other kids are just really sensitive to cow's milk protein mm-hmm. if mom's breastfeeding and having dairy in her diet some babies will be get irritated by that or the formula if baby's having formula they could be irritated but a lot of these moms will add or parents will add in probiotics Thinking not knowing good. that they're giving mm-hmm. that exact thing that can irritate their stomach so mm-hmm. it is really important to, to figure out what, what product they're taking mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and then for adults, what I generally recommend is there's, I'll talk to my patient about like good probiotics to choose and then to like switch it up. So if you've been taking the same probiotic on and off for years, like switch it up, get a different uh, probiotic the next time. So you're exposing yourself to a wider um, variety of uh, bacteria. And, doses and do you think that supplement versus having fermenting from stuff food. or yogurt or whatever? Yeah. So like, again, I, I'll see a lot of people with issues with dairy in practice. And so, um, like yogurt is something you could eat every day, but like other sources like kombucha. kimchi or mm-hmm. yeah, kombucha. Yeah. But a lot of kombucha is really high in sugar as well too. So, mm-hmm. um, but like other things like kimchi is a really good one. Sauerkraut's a really good one, but those are things that you wouldn't necessarily like eat on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Um, unless you live in Korea. Yeah. True. Unless you make or you love that stuff, diet, yeah. right? Yeah. Or, I, I yeah. hate all that stuff. To be yeah. honest, I, like I actually, I'm like, I, I love food. Yeah, but yeah, fermented stuff doesn't do it for me. So yeah. okay, so this whole thing about this flora, bacterial gut health, this yes. is a real thing. Because it all sounds oh, like legit. A, no, like, no, all no. seems like a little bit hocus pocus to me. Legit. And but this is legit. This is something I should look into maybe as like a general good health practice. Totally. And okay. not all I thought the it was time. Bullshit. Like uh, I don't think you need to take it all the time, but I think it's good to like cycle it. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I don't think that people need probiotics all the time. I don't. Yeah. I think a good healthy diet is generally enough. But totally. it is legit yeah. that people that have some element of gastrointestinal discomfort, mm-hmm. there is some element of imbalance there with, with the gut bacteria. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah. Sometimes. Yes. I mean, there's okay. a lot of people that have IBS or other diagnoses like that that, right. that try probiotics that feel much, much better. Like, there, mm-hmm. there is some evidence around that. Hmm. It's not perfect. It's not like everyone take this one and you'll yeah. feel much better. Right. You know, but there's, there's definitely it's evidence. It's not a one it. size fits all, but it's definitely something not. to definitely think about. Yeah. Totally. Just as would be changing your diet or getting yeah. exercise here. What's Ashlyn? Yep. She put a sneeze. <laughs> <laughs>
No. Excuse <laughs> 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 me. Sorry, everybody. That was gross. <laughs> I sneezed into my new white shirt. Okay. Um, what's like coming? What's like a health trend right now that's like you think is exciting or what? Or like what is a what scares you? What keeps Ooh. you up at night? Okay. What's like a huge misconception? Like stop doing oh, this now versus like what should people absolutely be? Okay, looking forward I, to. I can't think of a huge misconception, but what I'm really excited about, like what I'm taking extra courses in right now is um, like the study of genetics. Um, yeah. So it's very preliminary research, but it's really, really exciting um, that we can look at people's genes and so their DNA sequence. So you have different um, nucleotides and everyone has a, a slightly different way that these are paired up uh, and they're called... Yeah. Is that the cell, like the actual helix, what it looks like? Or what is it? Yeah. yeah. Got it. Hmm. Yeah, thing, bitches. To, I yeah. said something you yeah. both are like, yep. Wait, what she's showing is like she's doing this finger thing, like spinning your like, hair, whatever, which yeah. is your DNA. And right. your DNA I only is, know that from McMaster, the double helix. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. yeah, the right. side building. <laughs> yes. That's exactly. so funny. That's exactly what it yeah. is. Yeah. And okay. so everyone has like a slightly different um, variation in their codes. And what we've been able to figure out is that certain... Um, we call them uh, single nucleotide polymorphisms. So basically like where there's an A, there's where there should be an A, there's a T or something like that. And there's there's four different nucleotide bases. I feel like I'm not explaining this well. So no, no, it's good. Yeah, in so there's four bases and, and everything about you is changed little pieces of that. Mm-hmm. Um, like at, at this level, there's you have an A and I have a T. And on this level, mm-hmm. you have a C and I have a G. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so what we've been able ATCG. Yeah, you got it. It's been a long time, (laughs) but it's really exciting. So what we've now been able to see is like, uh, so certain people do better with a high fat diet that had a certain, um, like reversal of those. Some people do better with more intense exercise. Mm -hmm. Some people do better with, what are the other snips? They're going to be more likely to have problems with lactose. And so it's, I think it's like the way, maybe like the future of medicine or mm-hmm. even like how they break down certain drugs. Right. So some people will take like a, an antidepressant drug and they yeah. feel amazing on it and it's so helpful for them. And then another person will take it and they feel worse. And so other people will like, take it and they feel the so same. So there's a startup that I know that was working in WeWork that asked me to be part of their sample Hmm. But they did a swab of my cheek. Probably. And then sent me back like, these are everything you should be eating. Me? No, it wasn't. Because even 23andMe already does some of the stuff already. No. So they can already tell you if you're like more likely to snore. Yeah. Are you more likely, are you, are you easy to lose weight uh-huh. or less likely to lose weight? Are you someone that, I mean, I'm kind of making up some of these things, but they, I did 23andMe a few months ago and they do tell you some of these things like you're more likely or less likely to X, Y, and Z. And it's, it was totally legit. Like it wasn't just a horoscope legit. It was one thousand percent legit. Everything yeah, I said the about founder me was cool. Twenty three of me is like this hella cool young woman. Like she? she's the bomb diggity. Yeah, 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 I got to send you an article about really smart. the woman who it's cool. the the mother of the three daughters and two of them. One's the CEO of YouTube and the other one's the founder of Twenty Three and Me. Hmm. So she did something right. Mm-hmm. Um, and the third one I think is like a neurologist. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> She's the underachiever. <laughs> there's a joke. Can I She's tell you, not a big Can I tell you a Jew joke? I'm going to tell you a Jew joke. So there's a are Jewish, they Jewish. So no, I'm going to tell you a Jewish joke. But I are they Jewish? I don't, know, I don't know if they are. But you know, there's the first Jewish president, and he's getting up to the podium, and he's about to take his his oath, and his mother's in the front row, and the, and if somebody leans in next to him and says, "Are you so proud of your son? who's about to be the first Jewish president in the United States." He goes, "Yeah, but his sister's a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> like it doesn't matter. It's always the doctor. Yes. Trump's I think we everything. No Jewish presidents. No, never." 
I never thought about no, that before. There's not been one Jewish president. Anyways, huh. That's my Jew joke for the day. Yes. Um, <laughs> Ashlyn. So yeah, that's Jews what that I... live in Buttfuck, Ontario, where you're from? No. no. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. There probably are. I don't know them, but. It's like for sure not. Everyone's white. So, white Christians. Uh, yeah. I digress. Um, okay. So we're excited about genetics. Yeah. Genetic testing and what that might. Yeah. And I am by no means an expert code. in it. I just, yeah. that's what excites me. Lately. That's awesome. I mean, that's and there's some people exciting. that think that will like change how medicine works. And, yeah. you know, by finding out your, your, your own personal um, genetics, we might be able to give you different medicines, different cancer treatments, different mm-hmm. facial creams, like everything yeah. based One, on your specific um, genetic makeup. Totally. Yeah. In terms of like how I like directly apply to it. Cause my husband's always like, Oh, you're doing these courses, but like it's not, you're not applying it to your practice. Yeah. But, um, in genetics, what we have been able to figure out is some people don't methylate things well. So what that What's means is like binding a methyl group to something to absorb it. And so there was a research study that came out, I'm going to say 10 years ago. I don't know how long ago, but it was looking at like high doses of folic acid um, in women because we used to give women who are at higher risk of miscarriages five milligrams of folic acid instead of one. Um, and then what we found is like this wasn't really helping those women. Um, but the folic acid, the form that we were giving them wasn't, a methylated form of folic acid. Uh, and then in studying genetics, what I found was that there's some people that just don't methylate things well. And so now what I'll always recommend is for women to always take like a methylated form of folic acid, whether they know their genes or they don't, mm. um, because about 75% of the population has this little flip of their DNA where they don't um, methylate well, which I thought was very interesting. So you're literally treating them differently because they don't methylate. That's cool. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah, that's like legit cool science. Mm-hmm. You know, what did you learn today, my friend? I learned that. Let's bring it home. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't know that before. We've seen some of the like big, like especially the like prenatals that are covered um, are not with methylated folic acid right now. Mm. And I didn't know anything about that. Yeah, yeah like unfortunately, like Pregvet's still not methylated and like the ones that like people don't have to pay for, mm-hmm. um, have, it hasn't quite caught up. Interesting, interesting. So. Be- before we, we close it, actually, yeah, sure. um, another, I think, hot hot thing in terms of supplements would be breastfeeding. So people ask us all the time, how do I increase my, my milk flow? My milk, so I typically recommend fenugreek and blessed thistle. Love it. I know there's lots of other things as well. Yeah. Um, what are the other ones that you that are your go-tos? Those are big ones. There's actually a really great... And that's legit, by the way. That Those absolutely increase your supply. Yeah. I, I, I use them myself for two of my pregnancies, two of my babies, and it does legit increase your supply. That being said, fenugreek can make you smell gross. Yeah. So some people like literally sweat out the smell of curry. Some people like the smell. It often isn't good. I actually actually go off of fenugreek with my first one and I, I needed the more milk supply. But every time I went to the gym, I thought I was in a vomit. Like I was sweating out like a stinky smell. I couldn't mm. handle it myself. But anyway, a lot of other women don't have any issues with that. But fenugreek and blessed this are great. Yeah, there's a Toronto herbalist called John Redden who has this amazing formula called Lactaid and it's fenugreek, blessed thistle, um, false unicorn root, nettle, something else in it. Anyways, and it's like the best. It tastes horrible. It's like mm. a liquid. Um, yeah, I took the capsules because I couldn't handle the teas and the tinctures yeah. and things because they were really terrible tasting. Mm-hmm. But uh, the capsules worked. But yeah. the capsules for those ones, like you're taking three three times a day of each of them. It's so it's like 18 capsules a day. It's, it's a shitload. Mm-hmm. Tell me about dandelion. Dandelion's a herb. It's really good for um, like supporting the liver. So we call it like a detox herb, um, but it's uh, very helpful. Like it's hepatoprotective. Um, so 
if you had any kind of like liver issue or some mm. people will take it if they're like consuming a lot of alcohol or drugs that get um, broken down by the Is liver. Is that why you're curious? I've never heard no, of that. No, I'm just, no, I'm, I'm She's seeing like, so dandelion. I'm seeing dandelion. I'm seeing dandelion. I'm seeing dandelion more commonly. Oh, I've, I've never seen it. Um, it's and also, teas and stuff yeah, like that and people kin. are talking about it and anyone I know mm. who's like a hipster who like uses a smudge or has sage right. in their house right, so yeah. like oh I drink dandelion yes. tea you know yes. it's yeah. good for the kidneys too like it is a bit of a diuretic so it'll make you pee more um, but it's yeah because I've also seen blessed thistle with dandelion tea oh. dandelion would not be a herb I'd usually recommend during like um, either preg- definitely not in pregnancy and like probably not in breastfeeding. I wouldn't want to take anything that's a diuretic in breastfeeding because exactly. you want to keep as much fluid as you want as, yeah. as possible. Isn't Diuretics make you pee. There's no, uh, uh, you know, caffeine in general is not great um, mm. if you're breastfeeding because you yeah, want to drink as much as you can, can and keep as much as you can. Otherwise, if you pee it out, mm. you're losing that fluid that would then become breast milk. It's funny. When I don't want to go off caffeine, I actually like, it takes me like seven to 10 days to like be over caffeine. Mm-hmm. And then like, I feel great about it, but then I just like need it again. I just like, I think my <laughs> coffee habit is so much stronger mm-hmm. than the actual like addiction to caffeine, but um, yeah. Um, how about matcha? Like straight up matcha health benefits? Yeah, for sure. So it's tons of antioxidants. It does have caffeine in it as well. Too, a shitload so, of caffeine. I yeah, think, yeah. Like yeah. I think more than coffee. I think it's more brand. than coffee. Matcha. Yeah. yeah. Um, so again, if you're not good with caffeine, it's not going to be good for you, yeah. but it has like, if you like the buzz you get from caffeine and you want something with maybe more health benefits. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's good, yeah, good but it's, it's also going to be like caffeine, which is like, whoop, like mm-hmm. you get energy. Yeah, no, I, and then I do. I, I am a like, matcha drinker. I like to make like the old school, like with the whisk and everything. Mm-hmm. I do it at home. Okay. Was there any practices that you do in your daily life? That's like your ritual that you would like love your little secret sauce. So I feel like I already told my secret sauce. Like magnesium is for sure. My secret, secret sauce. sauce. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Um, do you take it in a pill or isn't it? Take it in a pill. I'm not good with anything that's not in a pill. What are they called? I'm not compliant. Tinsels? Tinctures? Tinctures. That yeah. word. Tinctures. <laughs> no, magnesium. So tinctures are plants that are soaked in alcohol, and that's how you make a tincture. Um, mm. So magnesium, because it's a mineral, like you mm. can get it in a liquid form, but it wouldn't be. In mineral alcohol. means it comes from the earth, right? That's what it means when you say mineral. I think like so. it literally is in stone. That's what I think about. I think so. Right? Yeah. And a tincture comes from a plant. A plant. It's a oh. plant soaked in alcohol. So cannabis, that's why cannabis comes in tinctures. Yeah, because Dude, I'm learning about cannabis. Thing. <laughs> it always uh, comes back to cannabis. Pardon? <laughs> because I'm so curious. Yeah, oh, I don't know you? anything. I mean, not that I don't know anything about it. I know a bit about it, but so there's so much knowledge around cannabis now, too. I, know. I, could, I could learn much more, too. We should just do a weed episode. Mm-hmm. Full weed. I would like to learn more. It'd be cool. <sighs> it's awesome. Mm-hmm. What did you learn today Ashlyn, you I learned so many things. This is my oh. consult with Alana and Ashley. <laughs> no, I think it's interesting. I think, I, you know, I think there's a whole thing about um, homeopathic Naturopathic. Na- fuck, naturopathic. I can't get it. Naturopathic. She didn't actually learn anything, actually. No, naturopathic. Out. I'm just so dyslexic. I'm just keep fucking that up. Um, no, I... Every, every, and, and every dyslexic listener is going, what the fuck, Alana? Homeopathic and, and, and naturopathic. I get yeah. them confused. Yeah. I'm just tired. Um, and a little dyslexic. But uh, that's very exciting to have this conversation with you because I didn't know anything about this. If someone wants to find you, Ashlyn... Are you accepting patients? Yeah. Okay. Where's yeah. your practice? So I'm two places in Toronto. So I'm at uh, Totem Life Science at King Street. So it's King and Spina. And mm-hmm. then also they have a um, Rosedale location. So I'm there. Oh, you're a Totem. King and Spina oh, two days, cool. Rosedale one day. And then I'm also at um, Aaron Mills Optimum Health, which is a clinic in Mississauga two days cool. a week. Cool. Everywhere. You're servicing Toronto. I am everywhere. Cool. It's great. And you're on social media. I know a lot as well. I am on social media, Ashlyn, A-I-S-L-I-N-G-N-D. Cool. Mm -hmm. Thanks for coming. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. So nice to chat. That was awesome. Thank you, Dr. Dina. Thank you, Andrew Levy.
As Elena, as, as Elena peters out, you can hear her voice. Thank I'm you. I'm so tired, Dana guys. Kulik. I'm sorry. Yes. Love you, bitches. Bye, guys. Bye. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. We hope you really enjoyed the content. We are eager to chat with the most interesting people about topics that you care about. Please connect with us on social media at Moms That Say, at Moms TO, and at Dr. Dina Kulik, and share your comments, requests, and to continue the conversation. If you want to hear more, click subscribe and rate us too. We're all about the feedback because this podcast is for you. Have a great rest of week. Until next time.